0: The Knicks are in the win column for the first time this season after stunning the Bucks on Sunday at the Garden. We get into the first win, the one and two start, and the early injuries taking its toll on Tom Thibodeau's roster. We're also excited to chat with former Knicks guard, four-time NBA All-Star, and University of Memphis basketball head coach Penny Hardaway. All that and more on a Happy New Year edition of Big Apple Buckets from the New York Post. This is Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Sal Licata, alongside my co-host, former Knicks and NBA big man, the Junkyard Dog, Jerome (laughs) Williams. New episodes of the podcast drop every Tuesday afternoon. Subscribe to Big Apple Buckets on Apple Podcasts. Go in there and give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. Please, we can use your help. If you're not an Apple user, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or Amazon. Former Nick and NBA great and current. University of Memphis basketball head coach Penny Hardaway going to join us a little bit later in the show. You can also call into our Big Apple Buckets voicemail, leave your questions and comments for us. The number to call 973-988-3923 or leave us an email at BigAppleBucketsPod at gmail.com. We'll play the best ones for you next week on the show or answer your email, so make sure you get to us with that. So, you know, we could communicate with you. JYD, a lot to get to here after recapping the Knicks first three games and watching what they put out there. Unfortunately, injuries are a part of this, but I want to start with something positive and something you touched on a week ago when we recorded episode number one together. And that was Julius Randle. When I kind of dismissed it as saying, well, all right, he's a nice player, but how can I invest in him? Cause he's not going to be a long-term turnover machine. You talked about him maybe changing his game. Well, Over the course of the first three games, he has, in fact, changed his game, and he looks like a star. Can he, JYD, keep this up and not trying to do too much out there and helping facilitate the offense, essentially becoming a point forward, getting his teammates involved, making them better, and become a legit star? I mean, he's playing like an all-star through the first three games of the year.
1: He's playing like an all-star, Sal. He is, like, moving the ball, and I think you said it first – uh, point forward is something that, you know, a lot of players in this league, especially shifty, powerful players like LeBron, like uh, Kevin Durant, when he when he chooses to be. These guys are, are are tough to guard. And that's what we're seeing from Julius Randle. He's making good decisions, which makes him a very formidable player. And if he can be that that anchor and that staple that we know every given night, we're going to get twenty five, eight and five from this guy That is going to set the Knicks up. And I think that, like I said in the beginning, if he's able to look at this season as this is my comeback year, this is my reestablishing myself year, Julius Randle could be a serious problem. And he's showing
0: that in his first three games. He's lost some weight and he's not trying to do too much. Now, that has to be a little bit of the Tibbs factor. No, I mean, I would think that Tom Thibodeau, who knows what he's doing as a head coach, talks to Randall and says, look, this is what needs to be done. If you want to get your game, take your game in the next level, Knicks have him under control. It's a cheap contract. The guy turned into a star. Maybe Thibodeau's getting the most of him. And Randall seems to be getting that, JY did.
1: Absolutely. I give it up to Tibbs because he's doing something in that film room. And, you know, game in and game out. I can tell you that these, the the little things are being critiqued. We watched the game against Milwaukee. Milwaukee didn't come in there hurt. These guys came in there ready to get, get a win. You can tell that they were in the lab. New York had been in the film room. They were cleaning up some things. And they beat a playoff team. They beat. One of the best teams in the nba right now and you can't just like shovel that under the rug because this isn't mid-season this is the beginning of the season when everybody's fresh and everybody's not battling through injuries and different things the knicks are but definitely milwaukee bucks weren't they didn't just beat them i mean they beat them
0: down they handled they,
1: that was a handle that was a handle beat down game and i'm saying to myself okay now, if we can take that momentum from this game and say, hey, were you not, were you getting up for the Bucks, or can you sustain this type of energy and this type of output for the remainder of the season?
0: Well, we focused on Randall, but you look at the three games overall and the first thing I was thinking after the loss to Indiana, okay, well, they played hard, but in the end, they just don't have enough star power to match with the Pacers and you watch the game against the Sixers similar now the the Knicks are hurt I get that but still similar where you just see the difference in star power and then they go out there and crush Milwaukee on the second of a back-to-back for the Knicks the youth you know paying dividends Alfred Payton all of a sudden having a big game but to me it still starts with okay where is the guy that can give you the big buckets when needed? Where is the star on this team that can compete in these games with teams, with other superstars that you see around the league? Randall's that guy, J.Y.J. I mean, he could be that guy for the Knicks. I don't think that that's a stretch to say even after just three games.
1: It's not it's not uh, tough to say because at this end of the day, when I'm watching him play, I'm still trying to figure out what's his go-to move. And I know that's probably going around the whole league. Like, what's his go-to? But he's so shifty. He's so, you know, dynamic in the sense that he penetrates well. He uses his shoulders and his bodies well. And those are the kind of things that are tough to guard, but also, you know, basically tough to predict because he can hurt you in so many different ways. And not to mention, if his three ball starts falling, like he did on certain nights, that's going to just open up the whole floor. And that's what's been happening over the course of the last three games, but definitely against
0: Milwaukee. He seems like he's on a mission to prove himself here, take his game to the next level. I'm sure, as we talked about, Thibodeau has uh, you know a, may, a big factor in that. But maybe the Knicks fans change their perception of Julius Randle. If he changes his game and becomes a facilitator and a point forward and a guy who's not going to try to do too much, get others involved, knock down big shots, become a 25-point scorer a night, Hey, and now all of a sudden the conversation changes from, well, what can we get for Julius Randle to, hey, we better lock up Julius Randle. He's one of our key pieces moving forward, our guy to lead this team.
1: That's right. And and it starts with like you said, if you can reduce the turnovers we talked about in the beginning of the season. Turnovers are the key. We always said he was a good player, but you just can't have that many turnovers and the ball go through you. Right now the ball is going through Julius Randle and he's producing but Guys like Alec Burks are 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 benefiting, you know, because they're keying in on him. He's getting wide open looks. I mean, he's he's had 22 uh, points and and a in a series of uh, games here to start the season, and it's opening up the floor. And who does that also benefit? Guys like R.J. Barrett, who can come in the game and are slashers and need the paint to be opened up so they can get to the rim. And he's benefiting as well. He had a good game against Milwaukee that came off the strength of the
0: facilitator
1: of Julius Randle.
0: Let's move on to a couple other guys here. You know, I think the key word for this team is going to be consistency. Who is going to be a consistent performer for this group? And you look at Barrett, who's had up and downs already through three games. You look at Knox, who's shown flashes. Neil Aquina finally getting some burn. Can he be a consistent contributor at point guard for them? Barrett, though, the one guy who drives you nuts, JYD, because he should be a main contributor night in, night out, but the inconsistencies one game good, the next night bad, one game good, the next night bad. Can Barrett be consistently productive for this team night in, night out? I think it
1: comes down to Barrett really making an assertive effort to penetrate and get fouled. Sometimes his his jump shot, like in game one, I mean, he was four for four. I mean, he he was he was shooting lights out, Sal, and he gets hot and then the second half you know we're looking for everything so that's the key he has to he has to really, really drive his offense to the basket get some easy buckets early get him in transition get warmed up then that way not so much relying on the jump shot i think in the um in the first two losses actually second half in the first loss jump shot stop, stopped going in second game jump shot wasn't going in now He's, he's actually having a harder time, you know, helping the Knicks. And to get consistent, he just has to be that type of player that really forces the issue in terms of getting to the cup and uh, getting easy baskets because he can do that. He can do that in transition. His length, his, his ability to get to the rim, is what's his what is his strength. So that's what he has to do.
0: And that's why I talked about the first episode that we did. Regardless of how he's shooting, because you know that's going to be there some nights, and it's not. He's not a great shooter. It's gonna it's not going to be other nights. He's got to be able to attack the rim consistently and knock down his free throws. You mentioned a couple of guys, and we talk about consistency. We'll we'll save Knox and Neil Akina maybe for another episode. There's plenty of time to get to those two. Uh, although it was positive to see Neil Akina get some minutes and be productive with those minutes against Milwaukee on Sunday. Alec Burks, I mean, he's a player, a little banged up right now. And the Knicks have been hurt by injury. Can't wait to see what quickly looks like when he gets back out there or top end, but who knows when that's going to be the case. But Alec Burks, JYD, he's he's the second best player on this team behind Julius Randle through three games.
1: Absolutely. His shooting has been lights out. And I mean, you know, he he takes such good shots. I like his form coming off the the the, the pin downs, uh really squares his shoulders up. And I feel like the ball's going in. And that's the key. Like I when he shoots the ball. I feel like the ball's going in, and that's what I like to see from this type of player. Because there's not too many people on the roster that I'm that confident in, especially from the two guard perspective. Looking at this team right now, now maybe Austin Rivers when he gets back, we can look at you know what he brings to the table. Because we've known he's been an, he's been known to shoot, known to score. I like what I'm seeing from Burks. He's really consistent. Uh, he's he mixes it up very well. He gets to the cup. Has a nice fadeaway and some float game as well. Float game, so you know it's looking good, man. I like
0: it. Yeah, I, I like him. He's a player. And then the one, the other guy that can be a main contributor and a difference maker, as you saw, is Alfred Payton. Again, consistency, inconsistent. You can't go scoreless and then score twenty five or twenty six, whatever it was. For Payton, they need a. Ba- I'd rather him score twelve a night then go scoreless and 26. But Peyton looked like a different player against the Bucks, JYD, and it paid his dividends. If the Knicks could get that type of play from him or close to that type of play at point guard, they're going to win some games. Sal, you're saying it. You're hitting the nail on the head. He's got to be consistent.
1: It doesn't have to be 20. We're not looking for huge numbers. But if you can get an, a, you know a, a consistent 10 and 8, That's basically all the Knicks need from that point guard position. You just have to have that consistency.
0: No Dennis Smith Jr. He's banged up. We know quickly is the biggest, you know, the biggest injury so far. He could be an impactful player even just based on the short time that we've seen him in preseason and, you know, the opening game before he got hurt. But point guard is no question an issue, so they need that from Peyton. What about Neil Akina? We mentioned we'd save him for a future date, but you know what? With all these injuries, JYD, he may have an impact now sooner than later. You trust Neil Akina to continue to build upon what he did on Sunday against Milwaukee? I mean, you have to. I mean, first of all, we know that this
1: guy was looked upon as a defensive guy, Um, and he has the ability to really – let his defense fuel his offense and I feel like if he can come out and really be that spark off the bench and just be a consistent backup at the point guard spot then he can definitely help this team but we can't look to him to be like the leading scorer the leading guy or to be a a huge spark plug we just have to have a consistent game out of him night in and night out
0: you didn't love him last week when we talked you said Neil and you're usually positive here with these players for whatever reason you didn't love Neil Akina and neither look apparently neither did Tibbs because it, it took him a while to get Neil Akina in a game to basically where he had no choice, but Neil Akina gave some solid minutes, and I don't expect him to knock down the shot, the outside shot consistently. Is there anything that you've seen this year in the limited action, the small sample size, that makes you believe that maybe he can figure it out somewhat to become a contributing player at this level?
1: I think that that'll just come with if if he's looked upon as he's going to be the backup, that's when you get consistency. But with the unknown of, you know, not having that guy where you're saying, hey, this is going to be your minutes, I'm sure it's going to be tough for him and any point guard that's coming off the bench because you're sitting there and you're looking at all these other guys on your bench and saying, well, they can play tonight, they might play tonight, you know, who's going to play tonight? And until you get that established, you're going to have fragments of, you know, what does this guy bring to the table? and I think that that's where you kind of get in there if you're winning great you stick with that guy but if you're losing Tibbs is going to be doing what he has to do which is you know find the person next man up
0: who's ready to play and who's ready to contribute three games in the books the Knicks have their first win 29 wins away from Sizzler JYD as you come on now I don't even know where there is a Sizzler around here I mean this is New York I know you're (laughs) out on the West Coast right we're gonna have to come meet you out there for Sizzler how about you come here we'll get you (laughs) and give you a steak dinner we'll pick a restaurant here. but anyway 20 nine wins to go until a steak dinner for our crew what do you think we're getting it now hey i think so but listen i i I mean i don't want to
1: keep shouting out sizzling i think we better start shooting (laughs) higher uh let's go smiths and walensky's okay let's Uh let's start to raise the bar a little bit because i don't want to keep shouting them out i need to make sure i shout out some people that actually will be worth my while if i come in and come bring the dog pound because we don't want those kind of kibbles and bits
0: what was the what was the big steakhouse, you know, after a big Nick went at the Garden, you and some of the teammates, maybe you and Penny, whoever you guys go out afterward. Was there a specific steakhouse that you guys would hit up? You know
1: what? Most of the time it was typically that. Uh, what's that? What's that? Oh, Tuscan. Yeah. I've heard
0: of
2: it. Yeah. Yeah. Tuscan Steakhouse. That was All a right. spot. That was, it got right. us,
1: they got us. They had that orange going on. That, like, orange glow in there.
2: Peter Lugers has got to be atop the list as well, JYD. Come on. you got oh,
1: to yeah. spend big oh, yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Definitely Peter Lugers. He's up there, too. That's they all the there. way in
0: Brooklyn, though. Come on. what is New York? We want to stay away from Brooklyn stuff. The Knicks have a four-game road <laughs> trip on tap, starting with the Cavaliers tonight, if you're listening to this, on Tuesday. If not, it was already happened. Hopefully, the Knicks won. Cavs, 3-0. I mean, how is that even possible? I thought the Cavs were supposed to be one of the teams you could look at and say, oh, okay, this should be a win for the Knicks, but the Cavs are out to a 3 and 0 start. Then they take on Toronto, but it's in Tampa as the Raptors will not be playing in Toronto this year due to the pandemic. Then again they take on the Pacers um in Indiana and then Monday night against the Hawks. So the Knicks have four games here, New Year's Eve with the Raptors, then they come back to start the new year at Indiana, at Atlanta. That's a tough four-game road trip, JYD. The one game you look at and say, "Boy, this is a game." Of the Knicks, if they want to win thirty games or be a competitive team this year, they got to beat the Cavaliers. They're season. gonna have to
1: beat them. But you know, look what happened—they trade Tristan Thompson, and and the Cavs start winning. I don't know what the deal is with that, but I won't get into that, Sal.
0: Are you referencing <laughs> something to do with maybe Khloe Kardashian or the? Kardashian? Hey, hey, I'm Kardashian. not gonna
1: say that. I'm not. I know up where you're cat, going, the Kardashian <laughs> crew, but. I'm just saying, three and oh, out the gate. What happened? I mean, that's that, that that makes me right raise my eyebrows a little bit, Sal. I'm raised over here.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you. I was shocked. To, I didn't even know. I was looking at the standings last night and I was a like, Cavs three and oh, what are you kidding me? Anyway, I'm curious to see how the Knicks stack up here and just to keep the hard play. Going, and you hope to get more consistent performances from the guys that we mentioned Peyton and Knox and Barrett, Neil Akina, and obviously to go along with the star power that Randall has shown here. And Burks as well. And again, the Knicks got to get healthy. I mean, we need to get Emmanuel quickly back here to see what we, you know, see what we're looking at as far as the Knicks go and the potential point guard play. But that's what you have with the four games on tap, Knicks one and two, looking to add to that uh with this four game road trip.
1: That's right. And you know, it it, it really shocked me like Obi Toppin with a calf strain. I just had my first calf strain at like 46 i mean i was like what is it because i had never i never felt a calf strain before i never knew you know guys be like yeah i had a calf strain and i'm like man you're out for like two weeks on a calf strain because i always equivalent to um getting kicked in my calf so that's what i thought a calf strain was man i actually had a calf strain i was like what it it feels like an achilles pop that's what it feels like sal and you're sitting there like you can't move your leg It's not working. And then basically you're like rolling on a flat tire for like a week and a half. And it's yeah. literally just every day. It just gets a little, little stronger to the point where you can start running again and all that. So I was like calf strength, man, these young guys are getting these injuries that I just be like, whoa, you know, you're supposed to get that. in your like late thirties <laughs> for me, 46, but Hey, I must be on that dog pound water Sal. That must yeah. be what it is, man. Kibbles and bits that I spoke about in, in episode one is really coming through.
0: Yeah, and look, I'm ready for more of that dog pound. You're listening to Big Apple Buckets with Salicata and JYD, Jerome Williams. Coming up next, we're going to go inside that doghouse. The junkyard dog, Jerome Williams, takes us inside his doghouse again this week. <laughs> Time to go inside the doghouse. All right, JYD, last week you told us the story of Trevor Ariza coming out throwing punches and bringing broomsticks out at training camp. Let's go inside your doghouse again with another juicy story from your playing days. What do you got for us this week?
1: You know what, this week, I, I mean, just just because we know that we're going to be battling for that 8th, ninth, 10th playoff spot in New York, I want to take the Nick fans back. To 2004 2005 when we had the highest payroll in, in nba history i mean we were sitting at 98 million a year do the math that was in 2005 so our roster was stacked we had guys like penny hardaway we had guys like alan houston and stefan Marbury. The, i mean this team was stacked now we were loaded with injuries and de- dealing with different issues so our you know our guest Shout out to Penny. I know it's the 25th year anniversary of Little Penny Shoes that's coming. out. I got to make sure, Sal, make sure you get me a new pair of them foam posits <laughs> that are going to be coming out. But this is where I want to take the doghouse. The doghouse, we were in the playoff hunt, okay? This is coming off of a year where the Knicks were in the playoffs. They ended up losing uh, that year before. And now we have this roster, whole bunch of old heads mixed it with some youth. And it was, it was a good mix of veterans. And we had Lenny Wilkins as a coach, okay? Coming into right around the 60th game, they let Lenny go. Now we're, we're battling, we're battling. We're in and out the playoff spot, that A spot. And we're coming up on a road trip. And I remember like it was yesterday, but since I my memory isn't as good as it used to be, I went to the Google Drive and it's March 25th, right? 2005, we're playing Seattle Supersonics this is coming off of two wins one against San Antonio one against Boston and we're like okay we got Seattle Portland Golden State three games we should we should win right but you gotta win the first one the first one is is key because it's a back to back we're gonna be back in the bed wake up the next morning take care of Seattle I get off the plane and everybody's talking hey Jay, you coming to the party tonight I said excuse me what party? <laughs> Oh, you know, it's Jamal Crawford's birthday party. He's inviting the team. Everybody's going. Are you going to be there? I'm like, bros, we are trying to make the playoffs. Who is going to this party? It's not party time. We just got our two wins. It's back to back. We got to get this one. Can we party when we get to LA? Can we get to LA first? Can we do his birthday party in LA? How about that? Tell him drinks on J-Y. We're gonna go three and O, and then we're gonna play Kobe. So, you know, the, the chances of us winning that game, we're gonna go ahead and give it up to Kobe. But we're gonna take these first three. I go to the room, shut it down. Get up the next day, everybody's talking about, man, you missed it, you missed this now. I say you better be ready to play tonight. Oh, we're good, JY. We're good. Wait and see. Jamal comes out first half hot, on fire. I'm like, "Okay, okay, they might this this might be working out." Second half, Seattle comes back, push the game into overtime. Now we're in overtime against a team we should be beating. We should be giving them a beatdown. We end up losing the game 109-101 in overtime. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means we're up later. That means we're, we're you know, we're we're up later and we're on the West Coast which we, you know, on the East Coast, it's like midnight, we're playing at midnight, and we go now play Golden, no, Portland. Lose to Portland. I'm looking at this now. We lose to Portland, 96-103. Now the team is down. That was a back-to-back. We go to Golden State, lose there. Now we done lost three in a row. Well, what happens we go to LA? We lose there. Man, you know we went on a 10-game losing streak. It all started with a party, man. That's the doghouse right there. <laughs> I'm putting Jamal Crawford back in the doghouse because that's shout-out to Demo, shout out to my man, Jay. That's my man. But we can't be partying trying to make the playoffs, Sal. That's the problem. That was the problem that year. We should have been in the playoffs. We were a game and a half out, and it started with that West Coast swing because that's the, that's when the wheels fell off. The wheels fell off. Then we were battling. Next game, we didn't win until we got to April 10th. Over win against uh, Indiana. So basically, basically,
2: it was a 10-game hangover from what they were drinking at Jamal's party, apparently.
1: Man, whatever they were drinking and sipping on, they, it cost us 10 games. That was, I think, our longest losing streak of the year. Come on.
0: I cannot get enough of these stories. Now, unfortunately, the fan in me is thinking, what the hell is wrong with you guys? Jamal, what are you doing? And maybe one day we got to get him on the podcast and have him explain himself for his birthday badge. But yeah, that's frustrating. I mean, you go out there and you get guys that are... And that's why, unfortunately, those teams never won. You got guys that prioritize partying, JYD, instead of more guys like yourself they are saying, hey, boys, we got some games to win here. Let's go win three first, and then we can party. Well, but our I next
1: think- guest, Penny Hardaway, he wasn't on, He wasn't at the party.
0: <laughs> we need more guys like you and Penny out Man. there. That's the issue. Coming up, we'll talk with Penny Hardaway. It's Salicata, JYD here in the Big Apple Buckets podcast. we are joined by former nba great former nick and current coach of the memphis basketball team penny hardaway penny i know look first of all thanks for taking the time uh, you get, get a chance to catch up with your former teammate the junkyard dog <laughs> <laughs>
3: AYD, hey if you need energy there it was right there
0: I loved watching. Look, you guys were there, and Penny, you more specifically for the year before Jyd got there, you made the playoffs that last year. And I remember Isaiah Thomas, welcome to the playoffs at the Garden. Uh, and then unfortunately, your team, you know, went out there and got swept by the Nets. But that was the year before Jyd got there. It kind of started. You know, you were there at an interesting time. You had a great NBA career, and then toward the end, you go to New York, and it kind of started the downfall with the Knicks. Talk about your time with the Knicks and the, the seeming chaos that was taking place with all the different coaches that you played for and the struggles that that team had kind of in your, your last few years in the NBA? You
3: know, man, first of all, I enjoyed playing in New York. It would just – it sucked for me as a person because I wished I was in my prime playing in the Garden. No better place in the world to play in the country, definitely not in the NBA, but at the Garden and the fans – They deserved so much. So in my mind, I was like, man, whatever I could bring to the table to try to get us a win, I'm going to try to do. Obviously, my body was kind of beat up at the time. But just understanding the history, understanding the city, understanding what Knicks basketball means, uh, my mindset was on that. I don't know if everybody's mindset was on that. But it was just, man, you were just caught in this web of Indecision and losing a lot as a player, it's like no knock on Isaiah, but it was like the players weren't as locked in as we needed to be to go out there and take care of business. It's like the downfall that they've been in all these years. It's like you could never get the roster of players to all be serious about what needed to be done to win for that city, and it was just unfortunate.
1: Man, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. There was it was a it was a lot of lapses and 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 energy. I think that we especially the roster that we had. We all felt like this. I remember coming into practice every day and I'd just be like, I'm playing with Penny Hardway. This is this is serious business. This man in practice, I, I equate it to a lot of what people say about a lot of the greats because he could do things on one leg. And we used to have these conversation every day. We come in, I say, Penny, how's, how's your knee? And he'd be like, man, wrong ah, today, you know, I probably got about 20 to 45 minutes. <laughs> I'd be like, this man's still going. You know, but then, come game time, he may or may not be able to go because he would go hard in practice. You know, like people talk about practice, like he would go hard and, and, and kill cats in practice. And then, you know, we had to wait and see because it was, if his knee started swelling up or whatever, but, but it was just the competitiveness and the basketball IQ was on that hall of fame level every day with Penny Hardaway. And I appreciated that as a teammate because he was such a phenomenal, gifted like team player with his passing. And he'd hit me with passes. I'd just be like double blinking because I was like, how did he even get that through? It's amazing. It's amazing. And that strikes a chord because we had the talent. But in the garden, you everybody had to be dialed in. Everybody top to bottom for sure.
0: Kenny, what was it like you talk about playing in the garden? And you guys, you know, maybe a few years after those 90s Knicks teams, which everybody in this city loved more than anything. I know they didn't win the championship, but they gave it their all every single night defensively. Ewing was a superstar. Those guys gave all they had. You were there kind of right after that. And you talk about the thrill of playing in the garden and playing for the Knicks. That that's kind of gone now. I mean, you see that with today's NBA with the players you got Durant and Irving choosing the Nets. Why do you think that is? You were there again following those great 90s teams We're now, you know, 15, 20 years removed from that. Why do you think it's gotten to the point where it has with the Knicks in New York not having that same lore that it once did?
3: Well, when, when people wanted to go to New York, the players in New York played for the city and for the name on the front. That entire crew played for the city. They knew how much it meant to the city. And those players were passionate about winning for the city. Now guys are playing for contracts, man. They're not playing for the name on the front. They're playing for the name on the back. All-Star games, uh, contracts, uh, things of that nature. So the pride of New York City left the team and guys started thinking about contracts. So now I'm I'm a free agent. I don't want to go somewhere where I know I'm going to lose 60 games a year, 50 games a year, because the guys don't really care about the, the pride of the city. And maybe this next bunch right now will start taking pride because when you're playing in the Knicks uniform, man, you are not playing for yourself. You're playing for the fans. Those That's right. are who you play for. And if you're not doing that, then you're not playing New York City basketball.
1: And they're going to let you know. They're going to let you know. I remember I remember games where we would be in the game, and if things started going south, the fans would let you know. They'd start the boo birds and everything. But for us, that would get us roused up, especially during that era. We still played with a lot of pride, and we understood. So it was getting ready. you know, it was – It was going to be a fight for that team that was coming in to to get that win.
3: For me, they have a sense of the guys that are killing themselves to really win the game. Then they'll fight for you. You won't get booze. Guys that are going through the motions and really just not out there doing what they're supposed to do, then you get the booze.
0: So that's the thing. Am I just talking to two throwbacks here, or are there certain – I mean, I guess there's a few players in the NBA that you could say would be prideful guys and be those passionate players and represent the city. But, I mean, that the, you guys that I grew up watching, that's far and few between now, and I feel like that's a lost thing in the NBA, which leads to me to a product where – tough to get into. You don't have to be the most talented guy. John Starks was never the most talented guy, but I loved him because that guy wore his heart on his sleeve. Oakley, same thing. Mason, JYD, you did it with, and Penny, you playing, you know, hurt those later years. You had that pride. So where is
3: that? Why is that gone
0: now? And is there any way to get some of that back?
3: There is a way to get some of that back. It's how you, it's how you picked your undervalued free agents. The guys that are undervalued, that aren't looked at as Being that guy, but in New York, you got to have at least seven or eight guys that are just willing to leave it all out on the line. You only need like two superstars. and Everybody else is just going to be the dirty guys. And that will win in New York. Unfortunately, they're going out trying to get a lot of former five-star high school players. that were McDonald's All-Americans. They're kind of in this entitled world. And if they have a bad game, they're still going to go to sleep at night. I couldn't go to sleep at night after we lost. You guys are going home and resting well. The fans are not, but they are. So, I mean, that's the difference.
0: They're not even going home. They're going out to strip clubs and uh, enjoying themselves. That'd Man,
1: they're doing it all now. <laughs>
0: Incredible to think about. And, you know, Penny, you had a tremendous career. You talked about your time in New York. How about being an all star, all the hype coming out of college, playing with Shaq, you know, the commercials? Do you still get recognized for that stuff today, Little Penny and, and all that stuff? I mean, it resonates with me, but maybe that's just I'm 41 years old. Maybe that's my time frame. You still get re- uh, recognized for that or more so your playing career? What's it like being Penny Hardaway today? A
3: little bit of both. The further I get away from my career, it's more on my career because of YouTube. Thank God for YouTube, JYD. <laughs> right? it still be relevant through YouTube, but it's more of that. Maybe 10 years ago, it was more the Little Penny jokes. And some people now say, hey, man, because next year's the 25th anniversary for the Little Penny deal. So you'll see more Little Penny next year. But it's been more of my playing career, man. And people really saying, hey, man, I I raised my son on watching you play or watching your tapes or watching your highlights. And I, I wanted my son to be like you. And that's a huge compliment that people give me these days because they enjoy the way that I approach the game. I approach the game for the fans. I really did. I approached to put on the show to get wins for my team. And if a fan is going to pay for a ticket to come and see me play, it wasn't going to be any off night. I couldn't have off nights. I wanted to really showcase because the fans are, you know, who we believe in.
1: Now, the one thing I can say is this. First and foremost, remember what I said about practice earlier. You can look at P today, can still tell that he's practicing, right? He's still working out. He is not like just falling off. Look at the man. Man's in good shape. I want to know who, who his uh, stylist still is because the man still uh, he wearing good lotion. He don't have a bun- <laughs> whole bunch of craters in his face. Like this is the real talk. This is this is the dog pound talk right man, now. Dog, pound. like you know, hey, because we've seen some of our guys as they get older. You be like, man, what happened to you?
3: <laughs> what yeah, happened, a dog? Letting, a lot of guys are letting themselves go.
1: Letting themselves go. I mean, past the point of contention.
0: Like, man, are you in there? How did you guys bond when you first got together with that 04-05 Knicks team? Were you friends before that? I mean, you played against each other. Uh, how did you guys just build that connection that maybe not all teammates have?
3: Well, I think it was a mutual respect initially because I had seen him play at Georgetown. I understood his energy coming into the uh the, the the league, he made his impact feel because I'm sure he had the mentality, like, I gotta make these dudes feel who I am, and I gotta give an impact to get playing time. And what's going what got me drafted was who I was. I was the junkyard dog. I was willing to do whatever it took to get the. I'm not. I don't have to get the ball to score or affect the game. I'm still gonna affect the game with charges, with rebounds, with shot blocking, guarding your best three, four, five man. Whatever I gotta do, I gotta do. So I've always had that respect. And when I had the opportunity to play with him, I was happy to have a man because I had another guy on my team earlier in Orlando, Bo Outlaw. Both of those guys are just energy and JYD has always had the respect from all of his peers. So when I we got together, it was like, all right, JY, it's time to go, man. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta turn it up, man. You gotta turn me up and I gotta turn you up. We just gotta get it done.
1: And you know what? It was a lot of fun, but it was an adjustment for me because every player is different, like especially on a high level. I played with Grant Hill, Jerry Stackhouse, Alan Iverson, now Stefan Marbury, But Penny was a different beast because like he said, he was putting on a show, but I wasn't ready for a lot of the skill sets that he had because he had these passes that would come as he was backing guys down. And it really just, you're just sort of like, I never played with a player that could make those type of passes, and it's an adjustment period because you're just really not expecting it. And I'm known for bringing that energy to the team and things I just weren't wasn't really expecting. And I was I was just like this dude right here. He's he's ten assists on any day. On any day, you just step on the court with Penny Hardaway. He's ten assists easy without even blinking. Triple doubles.
0: Penny, how frustrating to deal with the injuries throughout the course of your career. Still had a great career, obviously a great player, but it had to be frustrating knowing that you could have done even more had it not been for your body breaking down.
3: Yeah, man, you know, really, honestly, that what ended my career was my toughness mentally and physically, because back in the day, you didn't, you played hurt. You played injured, you played hurt. If you could just get out on the floor and get 60% of yourself, then I was still, I was really in amazement that I could barely play, but teams were still showing me the respect and the attention Double
1: teams, he was double getting double teams. On one
3: leg, that was amazing to me. So that made me feel like, you know, what? if I'm just out here fighting for my guys, then we're gonna have an opportunity to win with me on the floor. And I was just, I was competitive, but then I was also kind of dumb because the same injury I played with in a the, in the series against the Spurs, Tim Duncan sat out and we know how his career ended. His career ended really well. Grant Hill sat out two and a half years, almost two and a half years. He ended up coming back and doing really well. I kept trying to fight through the same injury And it just didn't work, man. But I was trying to do it for my team. And back then, there was no load management. I practiced every day. I never took practices off. And I tried to play in the games at 70% for the rest of my career. And I just damaged myself more.
1: If he had the Kawhi Leonard back then, oh, my (laughs) gosh. He'd probably still be playing. And he'd still be out there. (laughs) Hey, look, I'm going to take these two, three games off. I'll see y'all next week. (laughs) <laughs> and I'll be. If that was one hundred.
3: Probably would have been. I would have ended my career pretty high.
0: Can Can you imagine that? I, I no, I can. Whether you guys or I think about it with Patrick Ewing. Ever? Well, you know what? We played last night. I, I need a, a day of rest tonight. I mean. How could you guys, how does that happen? I mean, your thoughts on that, Penny, in today's NBA, where you get guys just resting because of a back-to-back?
3: I think the management feels like the more you have rested legs, the more powerful you'll be as the latter part of the season. My thing is it kills chemistry. I've always been a chemistry guy with my teammates. I've always been in tune with my teammates. I've always been in tune with trying to win the most games and get the home court advantage. Now, obviously, in this era with this pandemic, home court, Maybe you could stay home, maybe not a lot of fans, but you can stay home. But for us, it was like, man, you got to play because you want home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Give yourself a better chance. You can rest. If you go ahead and take care of business early, you can rest later. Something like that. But man, honestly, never had a thought about missing the game because of, hey, man, I need to rest tonight.
1: Hey, I want to shift gears just a little bit, uh, Sal, real quick, because I wanted to get into this NCAA. Penny, you've had a great chance to go back to your alma mater, be a part of Memphis uh, University and, and really lead the next wave of great players into the NBA. And you had a great one and Wiseman. Can you talk a little bit about what happened last year and some of the unfortunate circumstances that this kid had to go through?
3: Yeah, because we're still on the investigation, I could say enough, but not go really into detail. But the sure, sure. were- Sure, sure. I met James Wiseman when he was in the 10th grade, going to the 11th grade. I was AAU, I uh, had an AAU program, and I was the head coach of Memphis East High School. James' mom was about to relocate and go to St. Louis. And when she joined my AAU team, she decided to come to Memphis because her daughter was already going to Memphis. She said it just makes more sense. As a high school coach, it's legal for me. I helped them move. It wasn't a payment to say, come and play for me. She asked for help. I helped them move to Memphis. And then that was it. There was no ill intent. It's just helping. I've helped thousands of families over the years since 1993. Right. Facts. NCA NCAA pinpointed James because he was a basketball player that didn't become number one in the nation until he came and played for me. Then he became number one in the nation. Then I took the job at Memphis. So they kind of intertwined all of that together went, you paid him to move from Nashville to Memphis, to go to the University of Memphis, and that's a that's a violation because you gave a million dollars of your money to Memphis 12 years ago when James Wiseman was five years old. Huh, so you wow. knew at five years old that he was going to be James Wiseman and then come to Memphis and you you set all of this up. And they legally had me in a bind and said, well, we have to make him ineligible because of the association of you giving a million dollars back to the school makes you a booster. They never told me I was. And then me doing community service work made me illegal for going back to my community and uh, I mean, from to my school and trying to help my school out.
2: Penny, how frustrating is that? I mean, you go from a high school coach to college and have to deal with all these NCAA rules Does that play in the back of your head when you're coaching? You're going to be looking smooth on ESPN2 tonight against South Florida, but in the back of your mind, do do those kind of things uh, play a part?
3: You know, it is really weird, man, because the NCAA, they have their rules, and I respect them, but I haven't broken the NCAA rule at all. You know what I mean? I really haven't. I I did something when I was in high school when I was able to go out in my community and help my community, and they just intertwined it. But to the recruits, it did hurt me in the beginning because guys were questioning whether we were going to go on probation or not. Uh, things of that nation I really hurt. I hate that that hurt my program a little bit, but kids are starting to understand how this works. And uh, we're still in like kind of like uh under investigation because they're trying to find out if anything else happened to anybody else or whatever uh during this process. But you know, being on ESPN 2, playing on these national televised games, man, all I'm trying to do is just respect the NCAA, teach these young kids how to be good young men, good players, and be the best coach I can be. I don't have any ill intent, I'm not trying to cheat, I'm not going to cheat. I don't have to kids want to come to us because they want the experience of going to the NBA and we can give them that experience. They're sitting there scratching their heads going, why would a kid turn down a high major like Duke or Kentucky or Kansas or Georgetown, or whatever, and come to Memphis? Well, because they want to go to the league and I played at a high level in the league and that gives us an advantage. So with all of the things going on, man, the NCAA rules are what they are. I respect them to the utmost. But they get kind of tedious. I think it's time for us to kind of go back in and redo some of the rules because the rules that 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 apply back in the day, just like with the player, they don't they don't work anymore for today's player. You just made me
0: think of something, Penny. Uh, I loved you in Blue Chips. That was oh, one of my yeah, favorite number movie. one
3: basketball movie ever. <laughs> That's I mean, it. I, I love that movie. I forgot <laughs> that you were in that. That was great. Oh, thank you.
0: Is there a is there a coach that you've learned from that you now use his you know teaching you know, code for you played for Lenny Wilkins or Larry Brown whatever. Uh, Is there a coach specifically that you've taken on some of his coaching techniques that you apply now at Memphis?
3: I take small pieces. I have taken small pieces from all of the coaches that I've had over the years. My high school coach my college coach coach Finch but the guys that were most influential on me especially with understanding like the game and understanding what it takes coach Larry Brown from the defensive side of the ball and how much he cares for his players he he coaches hard but man he loves you hard i remember i had a guy named Stephen Stephen Barber Stephen Barber played at university of, uh Texas Arlington he came and he really made the team he outplayed everybody but they had to cut him because it was a numbers game and i went into the office with Stephen because i brought him and coach Brown and coach Brown cried like a baby to cut this kid because he knew that he was doing them He was like, hey, man, it's out of my hands. It's a numbers game. You really, he basically said, you really made this team and I have to cut you. I'm sorry. So I got the compassionate side and the toughness with the coaching on the defensive side and understanding how to share the ball from uh, Larry Brown and the offensive side, Dan Toney, when I played for him in Phoenix, him and Scott Skiles, those guys are offensive minds, man. They know how to move that ball from strong to weak, get a lot of screens, uh, play together, uh, obviously, they've gone to shooting more threes now than what we did, but I had a lot of respect for D'Antoni's brain when it comes to Coach D'Antoni's brain when it comes to the offensive end.
0: All right Penny, we appreciate your time. Uh loved having you on. I could do an hour with you and just talk about the I old know, days. I know man, we
3: have to do it again, man. Surely. I have a- I, I love on, that you're I talk- old school get back on again, man, so we can get on some more subjects for sure.
0: JYD, I could talk to you guys forever. You're old school. You're I mean, <laughs> I I grew up watching you guys. I love it. And you know what? I'm going to root for Memphis now because of you, Penny, because I like that old school mentality you and know, getting these kids it. to be good men yep, and play right. hard and play the game the right way. And I know you're dealing with the pandemic, so that's whole, uh, you know, other challenges there that you got to deal with yep. as a head coach. But we appreciate oh. the time and looking back your career hopefully we could do it again yeah Yeah, shout out to
1: memphis university and penny and all that they're doing down there and that's exactly right man keep keep teaching the young fellas the right way to play man
3: that's right man we have to man guys thanks man have a good day thanks to penny hardaway for joining us always fun to relive you know his days
0: i grew up loving him watching him and uh, certainly with the knicks as well and you love his old school mentality Let's take a minute here. We touched on this, uh, you know, we're dealing with the pandemic. We know that. Let's take a minute to shout out some local businesses that have been you know, helpful throughout the course of this pandemic. And we know people are struggling all over the country and we have people risking their well-being on the front lines. For me personally, I, my my wife is a hospital worker and during the height of the pandemic, she had to be moved from her job specifically to go help on the floors with COVID patients and working overnights and things like that. So, I mean, not just my wife, of course, but everybody in her hospital and just hospitals all across the country, certainly in New York, everywhere that, you know, you got the healthcare workers risking their well-being. For the betterment of others. So for me personally, it hits home, like I said, because my wife is in healthcare. So I think you you look at uh, small business, uh, local businesses, and healthcare workers. I appreciate my wife and everybody else that uh, risk their well being for the betterment of, uh, of others in healthcare.
1: Definitely, definitely a big time uh, move there. Definitely a huge shout out to all those those people in the, in the hospitals. I want to shout out. The restaurants uh small owners in restaurants who have donated food you know there's been so many people out here uh, across the united states uh with not enough food to eat and a lot of these food drives um, in the local communities have been done through local you know restaurants who aren't opening their doors to customers but either doing you know carry out or home delivery, but they've really donated a lot of food. So I wanna shout them out for all their support of the communities um, in all the different states and cities.
2: You guys said it well. Shout out to the frontline workers, shout out to the restaurants, the delivery, seamless, grub up. All those delivery drivers really braving the weather and braving the conditions to help us. I'm going to shout out a local spot by me here in Astoria in Queens for our local listeners, a place called Trestle. They really held it down for me. I'm a guy who's out and about almost every night, city, charity, events, games. So to have a place to go somewhere, eat, you know, safely outside, they really held it down, had great music, great setup, great brunch, Um, So during those nice nights, now it's getting a little cold for that. But thanks to Trestle for uh, holding it down for me here in Astoria, Queens. Alex, what do you got? Yeah, I really thought about this over the holidays with – all packages being delivered how about the delivery drivers they're delivering packages on time they're working hard working late weekends unconventional hours they're making everybody's holiday come true and i think it ran as smoothly as possible at least for me and my family so the delivery drivers men and women shout out because that's not easy especially around this time and they they really came through with all the packages
0: yeah it's it's well said by everybody look we don't have enough time to thank everybody who needs to be thanked but at least our little appreciation for everybody who's dealt with all this and continue to help each other get through what has just been an awful, you know, year in 2020 dealing with the pandemic and hopefully, you know, much better news on the other side when the calendar changes to 2021, where we could get back to some sense of normalcy uh, once the new year hits. That says goodnight to episode 26, the Mitchell Robinson edition of Big Apple Buckets, our Knicks podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Alex camarada for producing the show. Subscribe to Big Apple Buckets on Apple Podcasts, where you can go in and give us a five-star rating and write a nice review. Please, we'd really appreciate it. For Jerome Williams, the Junkyard Dog, I'm Sal Licata. We come back to you next Tuesday after the Knicks Monday night game against the Hawks. Have a happy new year, folks. Talk to you in 2021. Stay safe.